grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Acts. I was, uh, last Sunday I wasn't here because my daughter Ellie graduated from college. So we were down picking her up and, and yeah, we're going to honor the grads coming up too. So that's, that's where I was. And, and so Pastor Bob preached. Is Pastor Bob in this service this morning? Where's Pastor Bob? Make sure you tell him, great job preaching last weekend in the book of Acts. We've got such an awesome bullpen here at Anchor with Pastor Steve and Pastor Bob. Preaching truly is a gift and a strength at our church, so I hope you've commended him for that. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Acts chapter 13, verse 44 and Pastor Bob stopped, like, in the middle of Paul and Barnabas arriving at this city. They went to the synagogue, he preached a sermon, and then it was like, pause. And so I'm picking up on the passage after Paul preaches his first sermon in um, Pisidian Antioch. So, when it comes to what's going on in this, in this passage today, because it's Mother's Day, I found a real easy way to describe how Paul preaches the gospel to the Jews in the synagogues. They don't want to hear it. So then he starts telling the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, about the gospel, and they are thrilled. Check out this video that demonstrates the whole sermon today. Here it is. We're going to show it one more time, the whole sermon right here. I, I don't even need to preach it. It's just this what's going on. Paul's trying to give the gospel to his people, and they're like, yeah, the Gentiles are like, what's that? So uh, let's pray and go home, right? No, that, that's where it's going. Paul has a heart for preaching the gospel, and that's what's happening here. He goes to his people first, the Jews. They were not hearing it, not having it. So we're going to see today the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, already. Here's a map of the first missionary journey. Huge leap forward in the gospel in the book of Acts. What you see here is Jerusalem's obviously down there in the lower right. And the apostle Paul, he took off from Antioch in the north on the right-hand side. That's different from Pisidian Antioch. The blue line shows them going across Cyprus and then up to Perga and then up to uh, Pisidian Antioch, which is north there. And then you see the region name is Galatia. There's a lot of names that look familiar up there. So we're going to see from Pisidian Antioch and then Iconium is what, our, what the missionary journey part we're going to cover today. Because it's in the Galatian regions, this is where Paul would write his very first epistle to. The book of Galatians was written to these churches in this area. So that gives you your frame of reference. Okay, here's the bottom line. This book is written by Luke to give you great confidence that the gospel is true and Jesus is is alive. Therefore, we can and must go tell everyone about Jesus' resurrection, regardless of their reaction. Because of this, we are going to learn how to become bold witnesses for the Lord Jesus today as well. But first, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would grip our hearts with the good news of the gospel. Jesus, you are alive right now, ruling in heaven, and the kingdom of God is expanding all around the earth. Give us great confidence that you're risen and that we should go and tell the world this wonderful news. Help us not to be deterred when people respond poorly. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Acts 13, 44. Well, actually, let's read in verse 42. 
As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So you over here are going to be the Gentiles, and you're pretty excited about the message that you just heard. You over here, okay? So beg me to come back next week. Go ahead. Yeah? Okay. I'll be back. Great. You guys are excited. These people over here are a little frosty. I'm not sure why. You guys aren't asking me to come back. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine if that happened here? Almost the whole city showed up to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, that's you folks over there, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So, so cross your arms over here. You people over here, just cross your arms and, and just give a scoff. <sighs> You've felt jealousy before, right? If you went through middle school, you experienced this, right? So jealousy, envy takes two, jealousy takes three. It's when the way someone else is being treated by other people that you don't like that. If you envy someone, you don't like them. But jealousy is you don't like the way they're being treated by other people. Not a minor league sin. This is exactly what prompted the religious rulers to kill Jesus. They were jealous of the crowd's love for him. Notice that clearly. So they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So here, you know, hey, Jesus is alive, and now contradict me. Oh, and this is in a synagogue setting, and the whole city is there, and they're like, no, you're wrong. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Do you see how it's a divided reaction? You see how it's a divided reaction. And they began glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. All right, so we'll continue on in a moment, but the first thing you can write down is this. Some will respond poorly when you share your faith. Some will respond poorly when you share your faith. They warned the people last week of this very thing happening. Verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe it, even if one tells it to you, quoting Habakkuk. They warned them, watch out. You could fulfill prophecy of inviting judgment on yourself if you react to this message poorly. Beware. And what did they do? They didn't care. They didn't heed the warning in the word of God. But revival is breaking out over here. The whole town shows up. The Jewish leaders are no big mad in the vernacular of today. They call that big mad. Jealousy. Very upset about the popularity now of these newcomers. Not at all happy that those 
smelly Gentile dogs, no offense, are in the Jewish synagogue either. They would have felt like these people are spiritually contaminating the building just by being here. And so there's a lot of reasons why they were responding poorly to the gospel. Uh, but some will respond poorly when you share your faith. Write this down. They'll contradict what you say. They'll just flat out contradict what you say. It says here that they contradicted, verse 45, what was spoken by Paul. They contradicted what was spoken by Paul. Now, what does that sound like today? Well, I was at a funeral. guy in our church passed away, loved his neighbors. He actually shared the gospel with his Muslim neighbors. So it's so cool. His Muslim neighbor came to his Christian funeral and brought his son. So I was like, wow. So I shared the gospel, talked about how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. There's a Muslim guy right there with his son hearing the whole thing. So after the service, I went up to them, and they love a good debate about spiritual things. And I said, hey, what did you think about the, the sermon? And he said, 99% of what you said, X. <laughs> That's how the conversation started. 99% of what you said, X. And then we rumbled a little bit at a funeral about who Jesus was and what he did. It was a great spiritual conversation. His son was right there listening. It lasted about 30, 35, 40 minutes. But he directly contradicted X what I said about Jesus Christ. You've got to get ready for that. There are some people who are going to contradict what you say. You can't let that stop you, though. Because it says here in verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. We've got to share it. Their, their rejection was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Okay, so why don't you just come to town? Well, we all know what's going to happen. I mean, we've read Isaiah. They're not going to listen to it, so let's just forget about them and go to the happy people over here. No, it's the word of God. It has to be declared, even if it's going to be rejected. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. So they will contradict what you say. That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. That actually might mean you're doing something right. You have to keep in mind that they need what you're sharing. Do you realize the word of the Lord comes up here six times or in, in different forms in this passage? Verse 44, the word of the Lord. Verse 46, the word of God. Verse 48, the word of the Lord. 49, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. You're sharing something from heaven that they desperately need to hear. You don't have to control their reaction, and their reaction might mean they want to spit in your face. Some will contradict you. I love how it says here in verse 47, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. This is the light of heaven. When you're sharing this, you're sharing the light of heaven, and it's meant to stretch all around the world, that, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Here's a picture of earth, and you can see the light of the nations in the darkness. Now this spiritually represents the state of humanity. We are in darkness. We've sinned, we've broken God's law, we have plunged ourselves into rebellion, and we love darkness. A light has to shine, and a light has shone from heaven itself to come down 
to light up our spiritually dark world. When you share the truth of the gospel with others, you are shining that light, that light of heaven to people who need it. They will contradict what you say, though. You have to get ready for that. You have to get ready for that. Okay, jot this down. They will revile you personally. They will revile you personally. So this happens in arguments and in politics and on Facebook all the time. You try and point out that what a person's saying is incoherent or false, and you're nice about it, and then uh, they argue back and say something that sounds better than what you said, and so then you just say, well, you're a stupid idiot, and I never want to talk to you again in your life. You attack the person. This happens in politics all the time. You go for their policy. If that doesn't work, you say they are a wicked, evil person, and you should never, ever trust them again. You can mock them, ridicule them, ignore them, cast them as a villain, dismiss them, and this will happen to you if you start telling other people about Jesus. They will attack you. In politics, they try and discredit the candidate all the time. He's unsafe. He's unstable, untested, unethical, wrong, outdated. The person is the problem. Now here it is plainly false. What they are saying about the Apostle Paul is false. They are reviling him for telling the truth about Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus says, when you are persecuted for the name of Christ, you should rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. They will revile you. Now, not everyone, very few people, a small percentage of people will die for their faith, but many have. And we have to stand ready to be persecuted as a people. So here is a sculpture of Martin Luther led the way with the Reformation. And here's a sculpture um, of St. Ignatius slaying Martin Luther with lightning bolts coming from the Eucharist. Now look, I don't think they're ever going to turn you into this dying stone martyr who is allegedly being killed by the power of Christ in the Eucharist, but who knows? The world is getting worse and worse every day. And uh, this is a picture of what could happen if you stand firm and tell people the truth of the word. And it's even worse when people think they're doing God a favor by persecuting the truly righteous orthodox voice. They will revile you personally. Get ready for it. We see this unfolding of Paul realizing just how hard life's going to get for him as a minister of the gospel throughout the Bible. So... He's going to write his first epistle to these people, okay? Like, like towns on fire, they're very divided. He writes Galatians to this group, and at the end of the letter, it's really awesome. He says, see what large letters I write with my own hand. Let no one trouble me, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ, period. Oh, you think it's over? Oh, you haven't even been to Corinth yet, bro. I mean... They are going to light you up. <laughs> he, he was hopeful that at the end of this tough track on his first missionary journey that maybe things would get a little easier, which is why Jesus himself said at the commission, uh, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So watch out. Don't start drawing up a contract with Jesus and putting in all sorts of fine print of just how much you will suffer and won't suffer for him, uh, that's getting torn up. He will show you how much you must suffer for him. Paul learned that. They will revile you 
personally. They will contradict what you say. Write this down. Those who reject the gospel are doomed. This is why you keep doing it, because they're doomed. This is why you keep sharing it, because they're doomed. It says here, since you, verse 46, since you thrust it aside, thrust it aside, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I really want you to hear the gravity of what's happening when you talk to someone about your faith in Christ and they forcefully reject what you have to say and mock you or you're an idiot, you empty-headed Christians, you goody-two-shoes. When they, when they are forceful in their strong reaction to what you believe, they are judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. And maybe this is where you're at right now. And when the Bible includes a strong warning to unsaved people as a preacher of the gospel, I try and convey that gravity to you. So if you have been raised and you've heard the gospel and you know the truth and you have thrust it aside, you are judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. You will not go to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. There aren't all of these other ways out there that you find more interesting or intriguing or better or more peaceful or whatever. This is the word of the Lord. And if you shove it aside, you are judging yourself unworthy of eternal life life. What a warning. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. So those who reject the gospel are doomed. We must be saved. This is a message of life. Heaven has given us a way to live forever. Where will you spend forever? Do you see how when you're trying to share your faith with people or set a good example you got to get past the whole, well, they said something mean to me, and I'm never talking to them again. No, 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 they're in peril, okay? Your feelings are hurt. Their eternity is in peril. You've got to just get past the whole what they said about me or how they treated me becomes bigger. You've got to realize they need what you have, so you've got to continue. Can't stop. Those who reject the gospel are, are doomed. Eternity will keep you talking about eternity. Okay, John, uh, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, you've probably been familiarized with her ministry. She was wheelchair bound since very early in life, and she um, has become a, one of the most influential Christians in our generation. And she writes sometimes about what it's like, you know, just married and dove into the sea and lost all feeling of her body from the neck down, and that's that. You know, whole life ahead of her. And um, what is faith like? What is life like in a, in a wheelchair from that point on? And so in one of the interviews, she says, well, it hasn't gotten easier um, physically. You know, it's gotten a lot harder. But she said, heaven is about to happen. Heaven is about to happen. She said, I can't wait. Is that your heart? Why would you reach out to people? You know, you know how that person's going to react. They don't want to hear it. You know, heaven is about to happen. Heaven is about to happen. Do you realize eternal life is where it's all going to go? That's why we do it. 
Those who reject the gospel, they're doomed. The Bible is clear. There's only two destinations, and there's no such thing as purgatory. Unbiblical teaching. Never think you're going to leave this life with some bonus chances or a way to kind of go into extra innings. When you leave this life, your fate is sealed. It's permanent marker. And it's either eternal conscious torment or joy and bliss in Christ's presence forever. Where are you going? Number one, some will respond poorly when you share your faith. They'll contradict what you say. They'll revile you personally. And those who reject the gospel are doomed, though. Number two, some will gladly accept the good news. Some will gladly accept the good news. This is awesome. There are people who are gladly receiving it here. It says, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying, I love this, the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So this is a reference to Isaiah 49. So if you want to peek there, you can. Otherwise, I'll read it to you. It's so cool providentially that this Mother's Day sermon in Isaiah 49 has a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ and his mom. Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. It's about Jesus. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that's Israel, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you, here it is, as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Hundreds of years before it happened, God was predicting Israel would fail its mission, turn against the Redeemer, turn against their purpose to bring faith to the nations. God would send one special servant, a holy servant. A son will be born to you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bring not only Israel back, but he's going to go to the entire world with this message of salvation. It's all being prophesied in Isaiah before it happens. And I love also on Mother's Day here that Jesus is being talked about as a human, remember he took on humanity, a human from the womb. God was at work in the womb, preparing him, knowing him for the life that he had planned for Jesus. Life begins at conception because God has transformed the womb into a sacred place where he is forming a person he knows before they're born. Never forget that. So this life that would come into the world and God brought Jesus into the world. Why? Why? So that the world would see a light and salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. So some will gladly accept the good news. The Bible said this would happen hundreds of years before it happened. Salvation will reach to the ends of the world. Write this down. They will see a light in the darkness. They will see a light 
in the darkness. It says, it says that there will be a light for the Gentiles. Eyes will be opened to the spiritual reality of the message of hope and forgiveness. This is a result of proclaiming the gospel and reaching out. So this is, spiritually speaking, the Bible teaches you're blind at birth. Okay, I, um, I went like temporarily blind when I had an infection in my eyes. I woke up one day and uh, it, it looked like um, my eye had fogged over. Like if your windshield totally fogs up and you can't see anything, that's what happened to my eye. I couldn't even see my hand. I said, I think I've got a problem here. So I, I went, and it was incredibly sensitive to light. If light hit it, it, I had to just clench it shut and cover it over, or it would be, it was just terrible, terrible pain. Here's a picture of me uh, after I went to the eye doctor. They gave me those dorky sunglasses that block out all the light, and I had to walk around with my contacts out and uh, with those on because I was temporarily blind. And so they started doing all these tests. In fact, I found a, I found a, um, a description, a Facebook post that I put on Facebook back then. And they started trying to figure out what's going wrong with my eyes. And, they, and so here's a list nine years ago, things that have touched my eye this week. Anesthetic drops, dilating drops, pressure probe number one, pressure probe number two, four cotton swabs, three antibiotics, and metal tweezers. The metal tweezers were the worst because my contact got fused to my eyeball and they couldn't get it off. So it's never good when you're getting your eyes checked out and your eye doctor keeps saying, thank you, Jesus, after every test. Then you go to the specialist and he goes, here's my cell number. Call me tomorrow if these drops don't start working. Oh, we're buddies now. So I found out they suspected I had MRSA on the eyeballs. I didn't, praise the Lord, but I could have gone blind. I know what it's like for many days to lose your eyesight. I couldn't see. I had to walk around with a dorky eye patch on. So spiritually, that's you and me when we're born. We can't see. We can't see. doesn't matter if you're raised in the church or outside of the church. You cannot see God. Other people tell you about him. But it's only when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, that your eyes are open completely. You once were blind, and now you see. Jesus opens our eyes. He helps us to see the truth about God in the spiritual realm. They see a light in the darkness. These people will gladly accept the, new, the good news because God opens their eyes. Jot this down. They find joy in being saved. They find joy in being saved. They're rejoicing. They're glorifying. This is evidence that they are saved by the word of God. They find joy in being saved. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's evident in salvation. Too many people think religion, church, is a bore, or a scam, lifeless ritual. We're going go to go to church on Sunday. We'll go to church on Sunday. We're going to tell God we love him. We love you. Then we're going to go home. Oh, it's a no love for God, no joy in Jesus. One of the fastest ways you can tell if you are truly going to heaven is by answering this question. Do you have joy in Jesus? I didn't say, did you go to church? Did you go to a class? Did you check off a box? Did you give to this? I said, do you have joy in Jesus? Joy in Jesus is a marker that you are saved. 
Maybe you've never known this. Maybe church for you has been spiritual slavery. I have to go because I have to go. And I need to do all this work because I want to go to heaven. Maybe one day. What a sad and tragic reality. Not what God has for you in the Bible. It's empty. Are you full of joy because you've been saved? Because you've been saved? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I love how John Piper couples these things together. Here's a quote. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. I love that. That's what's happening here. Pisidian Antioch, missions exist because worship doesn't. They show up, they share the gospel, and boom, worship breaks out. There's a party going on. They love worshiping Christ because they've been saved. Some will gladly accept the good news. Jot this down. They receive eternal life through God's word. They receive eternal life through God's word. Notice again, word of the Lord. Glorifying the word of the Lord. They were excited about this message. If you're not excited about church, if you're not excited about Jesus, if you're not excited about God, you probably haven't fully agreed with or understood the word of God. You haven't understood your peril, your total spiritual blindness, your slavery to sin, and how Jesus alone can break you free. But once you realize that, you're full of joy. They received eternal life through God's word. That's what preaching is. I was at a, all week long, I was at a preaching conference. See, I keep trying to grow my craft, all right? So I'm at a preaching conference, and, you know, four days straight, I'm in Wheaton, at Wheaton College Church, and they made us prepare a little homework. And so I brought my little homework, and then the group, and then you share your little homework, and you're like, here's what I got out of this passage. And then they tear you up. Well, that wasn't exactly right. This is what it said. you got to be more clear here. And then you walk away, and you're like, I didn't do a very good job with my homework. Because you want to proclaim the word of God accurately. This is the word of the Lord. And James says those who teach will be judged more strictly. This is not just a book of myths. This is not just a bunch of guys got together and formed a new thing. This, please hear this, this is the word of the Lord. So write this down. We must be bold witnesses regardless of the response. Number one, some will respond poorly. When you share your, they'll contradict you. They'll revile you personally. They'll reject the gospel, but they're doomed. Number two, some will gladly accept the good news. They'll see the light. They'll find joy in being saved. They'll receive eternal life through God's word. So you have to be bold witnesses regardless of the response. Let's read on in verse 50. But the Jews incited, or verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy, there's that word again, and with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 
But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time. I love that. So they poisoned their minds. They just got chased out of one city. Now they're in another city. There's a big uprising. And it says, so they remained for a long time. See how the Holy Spirit is emboldening them as witnesses? Who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Miracles, casting out demons. But the people of that city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. So imagine this happening. These signs and wonders are being done. People are being healed. And all of you over here, give me the thumbs down sign. Go ahead, just give me the thumbs down. Do you believe it? No. All of you, give me the thumbs up. This is after the signs and the wonders. Powerful. Divided, divided, divided response. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, that results in death. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania, and the surrounding country. And there they continued to, I love this, to preach the gospel. They didn't stop. They didn't stop. We've got to be bold witnesses regardless of the response. What an example they are setting for us. Now, you're not going to be able to figure out how people are going to react to you. The same is true in parenting, okay? If you've got three kids, they're going to react to your parenting in three different ways. Five kids, five different ways. It's like opening a bag of marbles and spilling it out on the table. You don't know where they're going to go. You can really try, but you can't tell the outcome. You can't control their response, and it will be divided. They'll take different things from you, and, and they'll embrace them, and then they'll reject certain things. It may feel like a futile, failed effort at times, which is what Isaiah said. The gospel sometimes feel like a futile, failed effort, because man is stubborn. When I was a youth pastor, do you want to see a picture of youth pastor Ryan? Here's a picture of youth pastor Ryan. When I was a youth pastor, there's me covered in, we were out probably chasing each other with baby powder or something, playing a capture the flag game at night. But there, there's youth pastor Ryan. Preached the gospel to a lot of students, high schoolers, middle schoolers. They all turned out different. My spiritual children all turned out different. Some of them still walking with the Lord. Some of them blew their lives up and they are so far away from God right now. It's, it's unbelievable. Now, did I treat them differently? No, they all got the same spiritual parenting. They all did different things with it. I can't control that. But I can tell you that God did go to work. Have you ever wondered why doesn't the gospel work every time? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be a lot better if you shared the gospel with someone and they were like, that's the best news I ever heard. Yes, I want to go to heaven. Pray with me to receive Christ right now. Wouldn't you share your faith more often if the gospel worked every time? If Jesus is on the throne and he rules heaven and the Holy Spirit is in the world, why doesn't the gospel work every time? Well, because man is stubborn and God is patient. Listen, that's good. Do you really want every time? Do you really want that to be it? I don't think you do. Hey, I'm going to share the gospel with you. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. Are you in or are you out? I'm out. Bam, they dropped dead. Let's go on to the next person. How about you? Do you want that to be it? No, you want God to be patient with someone. So getting a bad reaction and that person living another day means God's still after them. So we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Man is stubborn. God is patient. Write this down. God will save many by his message of grace. God will save many by his message of grace. You should know it's going to work. 
There will be billions of people in heaven. God will save many people by his message of grace. Back when I was a youth pastor, one of my students wanted to reach his high school. And uh, I went off to plant a church, and he texted me one day, and he's like, hey, can you come to our school this Saturday? We're doing a gospel outreach. We're going to have a dodgeball tournament. Three schools are coming, and we want to share the gospel in a public high school. I'm like, okay, Glenbard South High School. I met with them on, like, Tuesday. I'm like, well, how many people are registered for this? They're like, four, but don't worry. People will come. I'm like, what? They had registration sheets and all this. And one of the kids looked at me, and he said, you're going to share the gospel, right? He's a junior in high school. You're going to share the gospel, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, ooh, I like this. So I get there on Saturday. The field house at Glenbard South High School, there's like 250 kids there. I, I was like, oh boy. And the parents were like, we don't know how they did this. We didn't do this. They did this. And so they, filled, they got all the kids into a bleachers during a dodgeball break, and they had me share the gospel. Here's a few pictures from that day. There were all these kids from three public high schools. They all formed teams. They had a dodgeball tournament. And the lower left, when I shared the gospel and asked for people to stand up, come down on the gym floor, and give their lives to Christ, that crowd is the, is the group of kids that got saved that day. And here's what's so awesome. Those high schoolers that invited me, they were ready to break that group up into several smaller groups and immediately tell them what it means to follow Jesus. Their faith was incredible. How's your faith? God will save many by his message of grace. I love how it says here, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. In the end, God chooses his own. And because God is doing the saving, it will work. This does not eliminate the human element. There's plenty of humanity here in how people are reacting. This does not eliminate the humanity. But listen, friends, God is the governing force of salvation. He saves. You're not responsible to do that. You don't close the deal. You just faithfully proclaim it, and there are people appointed to eternal life who will get saved. That's awesome. God will save many by his message of grace. Jot this down. Many will oppose the gospel despite great evidence. Signs and wonders are being done here, and guess what? It's not working. I've shared this before, but maybe you're like, if only I could do something to prove it to my family. Like in the next Thanksgiving, I could take the turkey and the gravy, and I could turn the gravy into wine. And then they'll be like, oh, I believe now. Uh, read your Bible. Maybe not. Maybe they will kill you. Oh, she's gotten into the witchcraft. Somebody go grab the carving knife. She needs to die right now. That's how these stories end in the Bible, okay? Signs and wonders, they don't convince anyone. They aggravate what's already in the heart. So don't, don't feel like you have to prove this to people. You don't. The point of the signs and the wonders is always to verify the reliability of the messengers and the message. That's what gets the work done. So many will oppose the gospel despite great evidence. And jot this down finally. Don't quit. Just move on to the next opportunity. They didn't quit. They just moved on to the next opportunity. It says they fled to Lystra and Derby, and it says in verse 7, there they continued to preach the 
gospel. Hey, I want to close by just challenging you. I don't know the people in your life. I don't know who you've been trying to reach. I don't know who you're praying for in your family, at your job, in your neighborhood. I don't know who it is, but listen, please just hear me. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Keep being a bold witness for the gospel in your life and your words, and God will save people through you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that the light of the gospel shines to the ends of the earth, and many who are appointed to eternal life are believing all over the world right now and being welcomed into your kingdom. Lord, I just give anybody a chance right now, if they are afraid of going to hell and they don't have any joy in Jesus, I pray that they would see how awesome your sacrifice was, Jesus. You came into this world from heaven. You lived the perfect life. You died on the cross to pay the penalty for everything we've ever done wrong. You rose again, and you are now ruling in the kingdom of life. We are blind to all the reality of God. We can't please you. We can't know you. So right now, there may be some online or in person who are ready to say, Jesus, open my eyes. Jesus, open my eyes. Give me joy in the gospel. Forgive me for going through this empty, dreadful routine every week where I bring a stone-cold heart. Forgive me. Open my eyes and save my soul forever. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for a day or for a decade, make us bold witnesses for Christ. Help us to get out there and to shine the light, to believe that people will be saved, to not be worried about how people react to us. That's not our job. It's not our job. But help us to gently, lovingly, yet forcefully tell the world that you're alive. Motivate us this week. Give us opportunities to tell the world you are alive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.